Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from somebody who said to me, Oh my goodness, Carol the coach, I cannot believe that so many things have happened to me as a result of my recovery. You know, I've been clean for three and a half years, and I have done all of your recovery tools. It is exactly what I want to do. And what I believe has happened is that when you do the next right thing, right things come to you. Well, I would absolutely agree with his summation. I'm a big believer in... What you appreciate, appreciate. So if you're appreciating recovery, then I want to promise you that more than likely you're going to be able to reap the benefits of recovery. And those benefits are that you live a life of integrity and you are constantly working on yourself. And when you make a mistake, as we all do, It results in having formulas that actually help you to right the wrongs. I mean, I'm not an addict. I'm not a partner. I did have alcoholic parents, and I did attend Al-Anon. And, you know, Al-Anon helps you to cope with the other person, but more than that, it helps you build your own stamina, your own self-esteem. And wow, how can we how can we argue with that? That is exactly what we need to do is build our own self-esteem. So the truth of the matter is 
that I am a big believer in making sure that we get that done. That's who I am. Now, you know, the other thing that I believe is that it is so important to be able to yourself. That's what counts. And so how do you do that? A 12-step recovery group does that, does it not? It helps you to absolutely know that you've got a fellowship of people that understand what you need and understand who you are and and they accept you for the the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And what I know that is so important is that we have to hold ourselves accountable but also really work at, we have to really work at being able to love the more, you know, to love ourselves and to work diligently on making life better for us because that means everybody around us will benefit. And I know that if you're in recovery, you probably don't necessarily believe in Marianne Williamson's quote, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. And I can imagine that you don't necessarily believe that. However, it is so important to be able to really know our strengths, know who we are, and play those strengths up. One of the greatest things about getting older is that you kind of figure, what good does it do to put ourselves down, for goodness sakes? It doesn't do any good. It doesn't work for us. Now, if there are things we need to work on, we need to be able to do that. Again, that's what a 12-step program is all about. That's what going to counseling is all about. That may be what going to church is all about. It's having those special moments to really make a difference in our lives. Hi, I'm Carol Jurgensen, Chief, a.k.a. Carol the Coach. And here's my manifesto. I believe we all need to live by one. My manifesto that's on my wall as we speak is, I will do great works and simultaneously take care of myself. I will build in some rest and allow that rest time into my schedule on a regular basis. And I will watch for miracles. I will watch for miracles because I believe that miracles happen every day. 
Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to have a million dollars. No. The miracle may be that the first tulip comes through. In the midst of a snowstorm, I was able to, um, oh, I, I keep thinking about my dog. I was able to take on a creature who has brought me so much joy. A miracle might be that I can read. And, I, you know, I was just saying, I'm 65, right? And I'm like, okay, got to slow down. That's why you're listening to the show at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, no more 9 o'clock at night. My day is that I work nine straight hours, have a group for an hour and a half with 10 men, and what I know to be true is that I had my podcast an hour and a half, two hours later, so I was literally working from 8 to 10. And I said, okay, I'm going to respect the fact that I'm leaning in. I am. I'm going to respect it. And I'm going to work for it. And that means I'm going to cut my Friday down to no clients. I'm going to cut my podcast down. Um, and put it in the middle of the day, still still late enough that my East Coasters don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn to be on the show. And um, yet this will be comfortable for me because when I'm done at 6.30 tonight, I am done. I was just thinking to myself, oh, I have this errand to run, and I'm going to have to get it in in two hours. And, you know, when I'm done after a 10-hour day, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to slow down. And I went, wait a minute. I can do that, Erin. I got the rest of the night. This is so cool. That's a miracle for me. <laughs> I haven't had a Monday night off, other than vacation, since 2007. My goodness, that's 14 years I've been doing this show. That's another miracle. I'm the grandmother of podcasts. We've got great podcasts everywhere, but this is an amazing thing that I'm the first podcast on sex addiction. How cool is that? I'll tell you what else is really, really good. And I hope you're hearing me because... I couldn't find my directions, but you know how I got this Yeti, and then I got a nice headphone, and I wasn't getting my volume to come up, and so I went back to the old way, even though a very honest client said, the podcast still doesn't sound much better, Carol. You just keep waiting. I promise you I'll get this right. Just give me some grace, progress, not perfection. Today, we're going to be interviewing Kristen Snowden, and she and Scott Brassard, an Indiana friend of mine who lives in California now, I I do believe, um, they put together this book on, on the 12 steps to heal and transform your life, and it's called Life Anonymous. You know, I told you that when I released Unleashing Your Power, which was a self esteem book for partners that I also released a transformation book. I say that's for the other women that I work with 
women that haven't been, um, haven't had to undergo partner betrayal. Well, this is kind of that same thing. These guys got together and said, why doesn't everybody do 12 steps? And so we're going to talk to Kristen and find out what her philosophy is and how it works. As I drink my delicious Starbucks coffee, I once had a girlfriend who said to me, Carol, you are too effervescent. You are too positive. You're you just uh, go on and on and on. And you don't have to be like that. And I said, that is who I am. So now I've got Kristen coming on on to talk about her, their amazing book. And it's Life Anonymous, 12 Steps to Heal and Transform Your Life. And let's see if she can hear me. So Kristen, welcome I to can. Sex Health with Girl the Coach. How are Hello. you? Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. I was just telling my listening audience that I was trying a new uh, microphone with new headphones, and then I got scared, and I went back to the old way, and I thought, oh, you watch. Maybe there's been 15 minutes of dead air or something. But you know what? (laughs) I don't care because I'm a work in progress. Right, Kristen? (laughs) Yes, and this is a different environment where we are managing all new levels of technology. So, Oh, exactly. Well, and I, I was saying that I was so excited about your book because I'm telling you, anybody can use a 12-step program. And so you actually decided with Scott to write this book, not for somebody with addiction, not for somebody with codependency, not for somebody with partner betrayal, but for anybody. And it's called Life Anonymous, 12 Steps to Heal and Transform Your Life. So tell me a little bit about the impetus for writing this book in general. The main impetus was I found myself in my own um, personal and relational struggles when um, I started working with Rob Weiss. We were running um, the first ever men's drug and sex addiction program. And um, though I'd been exposed to 12 steps through um, my my education program and, and various training environments. I don't personally identify as an addict, so I'd only gone to a couple meetings um, as just kind of exposure. And um, then I started really learning 12 steps and working a lot with people in addiction recovery um, because a lot of the people that work at treatment centers are often people who have recovery themselves. And there, the 12 steps spoke to me more than any other concept had, had spoken to me before. And I kind of got excited and sad at the same time of like, where has this been my whole life? I've, you know, I've been to church my whole life. I've been in therapy many times. And I really felt like there was so much misinformation and misunderstandings around what the 12 steps are, what the community is that's built around it and the concepts. And I just really wanted to share some of that with the general public that wouldn't normally be exposed to it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And so you got to, got together with your friend Scott and you decided to put together a book that would be some helpful guidelines for people as to how the 12 steps could be helpful to them, correct? 
Right. I, I still wanted to honor the fact that people who, are, who struggle with the disease of addiction and those who love the people who struggle with the disease of addiction, um, you know, those who struggle with addiction have to work the 12 steps in a very specific structured way. So I never want to minimize the fact that they have their program for change and I don't want to muck that up. But um, people who are maybe just in a season of their life dealing with a marital crisis, betrayal, depression, anxiety, life's just not working for them anymore and they don't know, they don't have the skills to meet life on life's terms. I wanted to be able to hand this book to them to provide them some context and understanding as well. So Scott um, does the perspective of, hey, I'm an addict in recovery. And when addicts approach 12 steps, these are the nuanced ways that they tend to need to um, approach them because of their illness and their disease and their lifelong process of growth. Um, but non-addicts can approach it from this way as well. Okay, so... Give us a little insight as to how this book is is designed. For the average person who's thinking, maybe I'd like to work on myself and kind of work through the, the 12 steps, how will this help them? We try to make it really basic and upfront. So we explain the 12 steps. We give a tiny little historical piece to it because, again, some people have never even heard of the 12 steps. They don't know where it came from. They don't understand that it's not just 12 sentences on a, a poster, that it comes with communities and connection and sponsors, sponsees, and working the steps and, and building intimacy and safe, structured accountability systems. Um, so kind of explaining that in a nutshell. And um, then I kind of dive into my story about how I found the 12 steps were applicable to me in spite of not identifying as an addict, um, but kind of find powerlessness in my inability to use healthy coping skills, despite, you know, finding myself being maybe a victim of betrayal or other um, struggles personally that I was going through. And then um, Scott steps in and kind of shares his story about how he was exposed to the 12 steps and how it changed his life. And then we go chapter by chapter, just kind of explaining the perspective of um, the addicts approach to 12 steps, the non-addicts approach to 12 steps. And then Scott and I both develop curriculum for addiction recovery. Um, I'm a certified Daring Way facilitator um, that's based on Brene Brown's shame resiliency training and other uh, mm -hmm trainings and certifications. So I incorporate a lot of the curriculum that I use at my treatment center that I work at that I find works really well with my clients to bring these issues up to the surface. And I, you know, I provide some exercises at the end. We close out each chapter with several exercises to help you um, kind of better understand each of the, the steps concepts. Right. And so I know I was referencing that this book would be an excellent book for anybody. But it really is um, a guidebook for how you can use the 12 steps if you love somebody with an addiction, but you don't necessarily see yourself as a codependent, i.e. Codependence Anonymous, or um, right. an ethanol, you know, somebody who loves a sex addict. I mean, if you just right. really want to work the steps 
to get healthy and to understand boundaries and to right the wrongs that have occurred in your life or right the wrongs that, that you may have imposed on somebody else. So right. these concepts and exercises that you have really can help anybody, but certainly help people with addictions, help people that are betrayed partners. I mean, they're amazing exercises to really help actualize your potential, if you will. I, thank you, Carol. I agree. <laughs> I, um, uh-huh. I, I, I work at, in several different settings. I work in private practice and webinars, and I also work in inpatient treatment centers um, uh, and uh, intensive outpatient programs. And I really wanted a book that I could hand to any client. So whether, again, I, I see the betrayed partners, I see sex addicts, I, I see love addicts, I see victims of um, betrayal through sex addiction and other single infidelities. And I wanted to be able to send, hand the book to someone who is struggling with addiction who might have miscon- misconceptions and misunderstandings about what 12 steps is, but then also be able to hand it to a family member yeah. of an addict and say, look, this is what real recovery can look like. This is the, this is the story and the understanding and the conceptualization behind what 12 steps is really saying and you'll know your partner's on track for recovery if you start seeing this in him or her and then give it to even just someone who's struggling with you know just getting out of a divorce or struggling with a grief and loss issue and say look this is a is a really uh tangible path and framework to help you kind of start clamoring and clawing your way out of this deep hole of sadness that you find yourself in by by no fault of your own, that life's just happened at you and to you. But this can really help you get out and start putting one step in front of the other. Well, and I love it because I just wrote this workbook, and it is a workbook for partners of betrayal, and it's to move them out of that definition of sexual betrayal. And so many of your exercises are similar to mine. I mean, you very clearly ask people to list safe people in their life that they can go to at any point, any time, day or night. And and you talk about the three circles and what would our three circles be? What what are some things that we absolutely feel are interfering with our lives? And what are those slippery slope behaviors? And then what are the healthy behaviors? And And I just really appreciate the fact that you work diligently on creating exercises so that as you're learning each one of these steps, and you're right, many people may never have been exposed to the 12 steps, you can also learn about affirmations or boundary setting or even your own relationship to a higher power if you aren't spiritually or religiously um, in touch with, you know, a dogma, per se. So tell me what one of your favorite exercises is. Um, I think one of my favorite is, gosh, ironically, one of the most difficult ones to explain, but um, I call it the, um, like, exploring your lost self, because um, it kind of goes with one of, this is one of the aha moments that I had, someone exposed me to it, um, and it was, it's basically talking about how, um, Russell Brand says that, you know, people will freak out uh, being religious or about running a 12-step program, being like, oh, I don't want that cult to take over my life. 
But he argues that we all are kind of running our own program, right? We're born to be these very highly adaptive um, species where whatever environment we're in, we'll kind of morph our personalities and what we do and what we don't do based on that environment, all in an effort of getting love and belonging and connection from other people. You know, and that's where addiction can come in as well. And so one of my favorite um, things is there's three columns, and it's kind of talking about what did you get reinforced to be growing up? Like really take a look and think, I was really good at fill in the blank. Or mom and dad finally paid attention to me when fill in the blank. Um, Or I got a lot of attention at school and my friends by fill in the blank. They're not all the same things, right? So your, your friend that might have been to be rebellious and to be the, the funny guy or for um, your parents might have been getting A's and, um, or to be, you know, not the emotional one, to be the stable one or the person that didn't ask for much in your family system or um, other type of personalities. And you start seeing that you began to adapt to your environment and your relationships by taking on these personalities traits. And then it's um, the next column is exploring what would the opposite of that be? So I came from, I'm a very, you know, I'm a recovering control freak myself. So let me use my example is my way of getting love, affection, validation as a child was to like perform, get A's, athletics, never fail, um, be very serious. So um, the opposite of those things would be fail, you know, try things that you weren't good at. Um, sometimes ask for help and say that you, you don't know how to do something. And it really starts allowing you to dive into these parts of yourself that you might have never realized you wanted to invite back into your life, but they can be kind of almost recovery goals that, you know, I've spent so many years being this way because it was the formula that worked for me initially, but then it stopped me from all these other facets of my life that I could have been, should have been, it might've been building up a healthier me. And so it's kind of doing the opposite behavior and it's a, a really neat exercise. That's often like an aha moment for people. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And you're right. That was a little difficult to explain, but I think you did a beautiful job and, Clearly, again, it's a wonderful way of doing two things. One is identifying your strengths, which I'm all about. But two, it's really an opportunity to look at the inner self. You know, so often we are judged by what we do and who we hang with and how much money we make. But we all know that the true... um, the true essence of ourself is who we are. What are our personality strengths? And certainly in the 12-step world, what are our uh, character flaws? And so right. I think that exercise is excellent at kind of picking some of that apart. Now, I'm curious because you have worked in the field that I've worked. And between you and Scott, sex addicts, uh, betrayed partners, intimacy, anorexic. I mean, you've just done it all. Um, do you see, I'm just curious, do you see addiction as being an intimacy disorder? And if so, yes. tell me a little bit about why. 
Right. Well, um, under the work and training of Rob Weiss, it really shifted my understanding of how I view addiction, and I do view it as an intimacy disorder. So Rob would often say, um, you know, addiction is an intimacy disorder, so basically a disordered way of connecting with humans, but also connecting with yourself. And a disorder way of connecting with yourself, your spirituality, a higher power, other people, so all of that. Um, because essentially, at some point in your life, um, maybe because you never felt safe enough to figure out who you were, or you were never given permission to do that personality development, and then you were maybe, maybe never felt safe enough to ask other people to help get your needs met in some way or another, which is what we are neurobiologically wired to do. So instead, in that search for getting your needs met, you said, you know what, I, can't, I don't know what's going on within me internally. I don't know who I am. I don't know what this is. And I'm too scared to get my needs met through connections with other people because they're either too scary or too disappointing or I can't control them. And so I know what works every time. And I'm going to go to it over and over again, which is when I have sex with prostitutes, when I view pornography, when I eat that chocolate cake, when I drink that bottle of vodka, and I just continue to form a relationship with those outlets instead of doing that personal internal um, development and making myself willing to do connection in a vulnerable, authentic way with other humans to get those needs met. Well, that makes a lot of sense also. So you know that when we see addicts get better, it's in part because they've created um, connection with fellowship. And so I suspect that you believe like I do, and that is what you learn inside of a group, you can also apply outside of the group. And if there's connection in the fellowship, there's hopefully going to be more connection in your everyday lives. Now, I wondered if you would have some helpful advice to people who are looking at um, how they can enhance their relationships, what they might be able to do. Uh, in, a, in a setting of a 12 steps or with coupleships or friendships or just across the board? Okay, if I'm going to be selfish, it's going to be couples. But I really did mean in 12 <laughs> steps. Did, did you give me those options? I want you to answer them both. Um, yeah, well, there, one of my favorite, um, people who writes on that topic is Dan Siegel. He's an interpersonal neurobiologist. So to -hmm. me, that's a fancy way of just saying the way we physically respond to connections with other people. So he does a lot of research on that and he talks about, um, just the, the main things are attunement, right? Research shows over and over again that if you do your best to actually, just listen to understand someone rather than listen to respond to whatever they're saying. That's when the magic happens. Um, that can come from just, um, just trying to reflect back what they're trying to say to you, work on not getting so defensive when they're um, sharing things with you. Um, that takes a lot of mindfulness work, right? So internal work to kind of say, mm-hmm. wow, what they're saying to me is really upsetting. One of my favorite things that Brene Brown um, suggests, story I tell myself. So I use that exercise personally a lot, which is when I'm in connection with other people or conversations and they're telling me something or they're doing something, 
I ask myself, what's the story I'm telling myself about what they're saying to me right now? Or, or the eyebrow that they just raised or the really loud tone of voice that they're taking. What, what is the story I'm telling myself about what's happening out here? Because that creates a really great um, a kind of avenue for me to start sharing myself. And another great thing that I love is the concept of repair, which is that there's never an expiration to it, that the most successful relationships have, have accountability and have repair work, where even if they said something the other day that they're still struggling with, they didn't mean to say it that way, they feel bad, there is never an expiration to go back and um, say, you know, the way I, that came across, it wasn't okay, I didn't mean to say it that way, and I need to repair that. That's really that, because remember, vulnerability and the willingness to be intimate with someone is based on safety and predictability. And so when someone is willing to go back and say, that wasn't wrong, that wasn't okay, and I want to fix it, how can I make you feel safe? Um, That is what rebuilds trust and intimacy. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, obviously you've had the pleasure of learning all the Brene Brown stuff, and clearly she is a pioneer in the field. Now, wouldn't you believe that she really thinks that vulnerability is especially important in working with couples and just working with all types of people? And, and so how does vulnerability show up um, in couples that want to um, increase their connection? Well, vulnerability shows up 24-7 in our lives all day, every day. So the Brene Brown definition of being vulnerable is just the simple status of feeling emotionally exposed or exposed to risk and uncertainty, which especially living during these COVID pandemic times, we really can get in touch with how vulnerable we feel, right? How, how much we feel physically affected by the fact that so much of this world is uncertain and out of our control. The way that that shows up in um, humans is, you know, because the environmental vulnerabilities are the fact that, you know, I don't know when I'm going to, when I might get cancer in my body and die despite my will to live. I don't know if I'm going to get hit by a car and leave or a wildfire is going to come take me out. Um, But where it shows up in human engagement and relationship is I can't control you. And that scares the crap out of me. So I can love you. I can need you. You know, you're my teammate. If it's a primary relationship, we are both raising this family together. We had common commitments and goals and promises that we had with one another. And one day you might just walk up to me and say, no, thanks. I'm out. And deep down, that shows up all day, every day, back in our kind of like um, non-executive functioning parts of our brain. We call it like the lizard brain or the limbic system, whatever, because we're constantly in a state of as long as I desperately need you in my life and want you in my life and want connection with other humans, I'm going to have a deep opposing force, which is a fear in me of what what if I'm not enough for it? And that's shame. 
So shame and vulnerability go hand in hand. And those two things are kind of really what mucks up a relationship. Absolutely. So obviously, Kristen, you are such an expert on intimacy disorders, on couples work, on addiction recovery, helping clients work through trauma. And and you use that shame resiliency model from Dr. Brene Brown. And you started your own private practice. You worked under Rob Weiss. Uh, you probably very much believe in pro-dependence, I would assume. Correct? <laughs> yep. And just recently, you were highlighted or published, actually, in Newsweek magazine. So tell our listening audience about that. Oh, I just had the opportunity. I mean, it was only a thousand-word article, but I felt really fortunate to kind of say how, as a non-addict, in in my moment of deep struggle about 10 years ago, while also working in an addiction treatment center, how um, I really felt like it was the 12 steps. It was reading all the handbooks from SLAA, SAA, attending a couple, a, uh, attending a couple different 12-step meetings, talking to so many of my coworkers and colleagues and friends who were in addiction recovery programs themselves, that those were the things that really pulled me out of my darkness and started setting me down a path of um, – you know, it's that ironic, that double-edged sword, or I don't even know how to describe it, of um, I was more humbled and surrendered, but more free all at the same time. That weird thing they talk about in the 12 steps and the promises that, like, no one can really wrap their brains around until you live it. Yeah, that makes total sense. So you wrote about that, which is really writing about your own experience. Yeah, and I, I try to do it humbly to also know, again, that a non-addict working or reading about the 12 steps is very different than someone who's struggling deeply with alcoholism or meth addiction or hardcore sex addiction behaviors, right? So the metaphor that I always try to explain to people um, in addiction recovery is that it's like the difference of someone who's maybe diabetic and they'll die if they don't make these life changes and they cannot veer off the track for one moment or they might die or have to lose a limb or et cetera, because it's a medical condition that's very serious versus someone who's maybe just like, I don't feel healthy. I want to change my life. This isn't working for me. I need to get down this healthier lifestyle to kind of just do better and feel better. And so do you think for somebody that, you know, obviously again, as you indicated, I don't want to say they're problem light, but they're not dealing with um, chronic heart disease or, you know, kidney failure or liver failure because of their uses of substances. Do you believe that they can apply the first three steps to their life based on the fact that they're looking to improve themselves? And if so, how do they do that? Yeah, the the first better, several better steps tell them what those first three steps are. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, of course. Um, no, the first step is, um, of course, one of my favorite, right? Because you can't get really far without the first step, which is that that you you've admitted that you're powerless to something um, because it was originally created by Alcoholics Anonymous. It was that you're powerless over alcohol, but it could also be sex, gambling, eating, shopping, rageaholic you know, being a rageaholic or any, you know, shopping, going into debt too much. 
and our lives had become unmanageable because of it. The second step is came to believe that a power greater than, our, than ourselves could restore us to sanity and then made a decision. Thir- third step is made a decision to turn our wheel, will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand God. Now, the, everyone kind of gets really worried about the whole God thing, right? Because they're worried that it, you know, religion might, they might have experienced trauma and suffering in a religious establishment. And so they don't want to touch another religious God, anything with a 10 foot pole. But Scott and I really, Scott, by the way, who I don't, you know, he has a different way of defining um, his version of God as he understands God. Um, And me as well, I was raised more in a kind of classic Christian environment, but that changed over time um, that we share openly about what this higher power is to us. And it doesn't have to be, this very specific deity that you believe in. And then if you don't believe in it, then you can't get something from these 12 steps. Um, And so, and the other thing you were talking about is uh, a non-addict. So we can be powerless. There's a lot of things that we feel powerless to right now, right? I mean, especially again, let's reference this world that we're in right now. I'm powerless to the fact that I'm exhausted that I don't know when my children are going back to school. I don't know when my life is going back to normal. And my, and my ability to handle this stuff is sucking my soul dry. And I'm wondering how I'm going to be able to keep up with caring for people who are in struggle and for my children and for my family and for my business and for this world. And my life's become unmanageable because of it. So step one is actually really simple for um, addicts or non-addicts because you can either look at something specific that happened to you. You know, my husband cheated on me and left me. I'm powerless to that. I've been completely victimized by it, and, and my life's become unmanageable around it. Because two and three, steps two and three, are just about saying, I, I, I got to tap out. I've been trying to do this on my own, and my life's falling apart. I need to ask for help. And, you know, Scott mentions that for a while, his higher power, quote-unquote, was just going to be his sponsor and his fellowship and his group of guys that he just knew if he was making the decisions and he was in the driving seat, it would take him back to his addictive behavior time and time again. So it's just saying you need to wave the white flag to just say you can't do this all on your own. You have got to seek out a community. You have to seek out therapy, other type of friend, safe friend groups, church groups, uh, support groups, other moms, other people, whoever that can hear you, love on you. Um, you can run through your ideas and your struggles with them. And they can help you with your decisions and your next best decision and move through in that way. So that's kind of the way you can adapt it from addiction to non-addicts following the 12 steps. Well, and that makes sense. And, you know, men and women are uh, may have this issue, but I think women <laughs> – tend to have it more, and that is that we want to do everything by ourselves on our own and really letting go of that control and giving it up to a higher power and really um, just experiencing the relief of having something greater than ourselves uh, be present with us whenever we're dealing with, you know, partner betrayal, weight loss, getting a new job, like you said, COVID. I mean, it really, I feel 
feel lightness of load and makes it easier to move forward. And that's what I really believe about the 12 steps is that it helps you unpack some things so that you can move forward with more assuredness and confidence. Um, and so that's right. how we can find your book. Uh, I should say your book and, and Scott is your is your co-author, Scott Brassert and Kristen M. Snowden, Life Anonymous, 12 Steps to Heal and Transform Your Life. How can they get this book? They can get it through my website, either kristensnowden.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, Snowden, S-N-O-W-D-E-N.com, or they can just go to Amazon and search it up. That's where it's located. I love it. And are you are you any of these people on the front? <laughs> no. A friend of mine is a graphic artist, and she, she put it all together. So I, I was really happy with it. I thought she did a great job with it. She did. The cover just has an eclectic group of people, obviously, participating in Life Anonymous, the 12 Steps to Heal and Transform Your Life. And um, it's it's... You know, what I love about you and Rob and Scott, I mean, you're always coming up with new paradigms based on old paradigms. And so I really appreciate the fact that you're a non-addict, but you're a therapist, and you really have worked diligently on self-esteem issues, really, when you think about Brene Brown and and uh, daring greatly and daring way, and you are just making help so accessible. And certainly, we all know 12 steps is affordable because it doesn't cost more than a buck. And, and in this book, do you encourage them to go to a 12-step meeting or do you encourage them to um, read the book do the exercises, and live the life? That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. We do um, encourage, we give a list of a couple different um, type of issues. So, I mean, there is always the food-related issues. If one of your powerlessness is you manage your coping skills through eating, there's a couple new fellowships that are around, like, emotional wellness and emotional stability, um, there's always, uh, you know, Rob's now really trying to push Prodependence Anonymous, which is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, similar to these concepts that it's for anyone who loves and it just helps you with boundary setting and accountability and it kind of is different from the codependent model. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of, uh, it, it gives the, invita- the invitation to do 12 steps, but also saying that you can do these in therapy groups, you can do them in church groups, you can do them in um, like safe friend groups um, as a couple. I have some clients who are reading it together as a couple, kind of working it together with therapy as well. So those are some options. Well, I thank you again for being uh, such an out-of-the-box thinker. This is a wonderful book. If, if our listening audience is feeling like they'd like to know more about the 12 steps, you can certainly go to your formalized 12-step meeting, but this book does a great job of talking about the principles behind the 12 steps and how anybody can apply them to their lives. And, you know, Kristen, I 
tell my listening audience, especially sex addicts, I say, if you work a strong recovery program, you will be a healthier, more improved, better person than 95% of the men out there. And I'm not talking better than addicts. I'm talking about men in general because that's how powerful this work is. So thank you so much for bringing it to us and uh, for you making it your own. Thank you, Carol. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Some of my favorite people I've ever met in my life that just blow me away are people who have amazing addiction recovery. It's just the commonality that I find. It's like an incredible human being, and then I find out that they have 20 years of recovery behind them, and I'm just not surprised anymore because it does great things no. to a soul. Absolutely. And you do have a private practice um, in Malibu. Is that correct? Uh, Westlake Village, which is very close to it, yes. Okay, so how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to work with you, this model or any other way? Um, how can they get a hold of you? Just my email, uh, Kristen Snowden, MFT, as in marriage and family therapist, at gmail.com. So K R I S T I N S N O W D E N, MFT at gmail.com. All right, Kristen. Well, thanks again. You give Scott my best. You know, he's from Indianapolis. I'm from Indianapolis. And uh, he actually helped me write an article on pro-dependence and ATFATS, which is that partner-sensitive uh, training program. Yes. So, I mean, talk about an editor-in-chief. I can't believe what what an incredible writer he is. And, and so, you two are are definitely powerhouses when it comes to writing, and I just wish you the best of luck. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on and letting me talk about it. It's been great. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. Uh-huh. So, again, that was Kristen Snowden, and she wrote Life Anonymous, 12 Steps to Heal and Transform Your Life. So that's the end of the show, and I... Thank you so much for being patient. I promise you I'm going to get this microphone and headset together. You would think I would know how to do this, right? I used to be on radio. But, you know, when I was on radio, it was the coolest thing in the world. Bottom floor of a huge Emmis communication building. You probably all heard of Emmis. And we had the Today Show windows. So people could see us 24-7. I work Saturday nights on the Sex, Love, and Relationship Show with Carol the Coach. I had a producer who worked with me and ran the board, and all I really had to do was talk. It was a beautiful thing. So I, uh, oh, and then when we had Gen Con happening, that was a beautiful thing, to see all those costumes go by on a Saturday night. It really was. It was an amazing um, opportunity to watch what was going on in the city and talk about sex, love, and relationships with Carol, the coach. All right. I'll see you next week. And um, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Talk to you later. Make it a good week.